0: Thanks for joining me. All right. So welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. Um, I have brought for the first time ever to the show, Randy King. How are you today? I am awesome. How are you? I'm good. I have no complaints. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to switch the view on my Zoom thing. Then it makes you nice and big. So I'll be handy dandy. (laughs) Um, More Randy. (laughs) More (laughs) (laughs) Randy. So some of my audience may have never met you. Some might be familiar with you because you are intertwined within the fitness industry, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. so, like, tell us who are you, uh, what, what's your background? What are you proud of? Uh, give us kind of the close notes.
1: Sure. All right. So I am, my name is Randy King. I am an educational based self-defense instructor. So what that means is I focus on the proactive skills of self-defense instead of the reactive skills, which most people focus on. So I want you to be ahead of the curve, not under it. So I'd rather you not get in an altercation than when you're in an altercation. This is what you do. So I run a company currently called Eighty Twenty Conflict Management Strategies. The uh, precipice of it being, or the the point of it, is eighty percent education, twenty percent physical skills. Uh, but I've been in this sphere for fifteen years full time, which is rare in my industry because full-time martial arts coaches don't really exist. There's a few, if you do MMA, you can do it full-time, but as a self-defense coach, it's pretty hard. So I've been very lucky, worked hard, however you want to frame it, to have spoken to so many different demographics. I work with people in the First Nations. I work with youth at risk. I work with CEOs. I work with martial athletes. I'm very happy. I've taught in eight different countries and spoke in four different cities. So uh, the message I'm trying to get across is, I think, very important, which is self-defense is closer to safety training than it is martial arts. And the the goal of self-defense is no incident happens. And that's a total flip from the current state of the industry. So that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: I mean, something that I've admired about your work is just basically as you described it as kind of avoiding the incident before it yeah. kind of comes up, um, not putting out the fire but eliminating the fire altogether. Yeah. Uh, so what what transpired in your life to
1: give you the lens to take that approach with your work? Well, oh, how long is this show? Okay, so the cool's notes, uh, the Coles notes for the people here in Canada, the Cliffs notes for everywhere else uh, is. I was, I started off as a martial artist. So I started martial arts because I watched the Power Rangers. (laughs) The Power Rangers weren't bullied and I was a chubby kid. I was a fat kid. I'm chubby now. I was fat then. I was a fat kid and I got picked on a lot. I was shocking to most people who met me now. I used to be very meek and quiet. That obviously has, I've evolved past that, but I was very meek and quiet. I was always into like dragons and comic books before. That was like the thing you were allowed to be into. Uh, And so I wanted a way to, be myself, be the quiet artist kid that I was at that time without getting picked on and bullied. So Power Rangers got me into martial arts, did Taekwondo for a bit, uh, got a black belt, got a bunch of trophies. Martial arts was really cool. Um, and back then we didn't have the Internet to fact check people, right? Like you could be a, a liar and you couldn't like check it. So uh got into some bad crowds after Taekwondo. My Taekwondo experience was really good. I decided to become a bouncer at 19. If you are listening to the show in another country, the drinking age in Canada or in Alberta is 18. So I was one year into being in bars and thought I could run one. Uh, that went really that, went south, that went good and bad. But I think where my view shifted primarily was when I got stabbed working a shift. So I have been a black belt. I've been training in everything. I thought I was Batman. That's I saw Batman stuff all over my office. And a 165 pound person, probably an addict who was very thin, very twitchy, almost murdered me on a Wednesday night and all of my martial skills didn't work. So that actually put me into a depression for a year and I did no martial arts training at all. At that time before that, I was a martial artist. That's how I identified. There was no other, that's everything I did was that for a year because I almost died to a guy that I should have beaten according to every rule set, according to everything that I thought was realistic self-defense. Um, and I lost, I didn't lose. I'm alive, but I didn't do well. And I only survived because of luck. Um, that took out the joy of martial arts for me because I didn't think it was productive. So I quit for a year, picked up a book for my, at the time, guy I didn't know who is now my mentor, Rory Miller, read a book called meditations on violence that changed my perspective. Cause the first time I heard anybody talk about, the psychological effects of violence, the aftermath of violence, the injury, the, uh, the all of the things that happen, right? Freezes and all these things that you don't talk about in a martial arts gym. And it's going to sound like I'm picking on traditional martial arts and I will be, but I th- I understand why they don't talk about a lot of this stuff, because the stuff that I talk about, the best answers are still squishy. Does that make sense? Like They're not like, if he chokes, you do this and physics will make a success, so it's very easy to focus on physical skills but when you focus on the entire culture around it like victim blaming and and people's empowerment and all the things that I look at uh it changed the thing. So anyways back to what the sto- the origin story I uh went I read that book and I got back into training and started looking at the softer softer skills side of things right the the threat assessment, the situational awareness, the boundary setting, all that kind of stuff. And that honestly just changed my perspective. And then, like I said earlier in the show, I've been blessed to work with people who are not just martial athletes, because in my opinion, a lot of instructors who teach self-defense because that word is just toxic. It's bad because there's no definition of it. It's technically a legal term, but we all use it in marketing. Uh, the people that I would teach the old self-defense style I taught to it wouldn't have benefited, right? So I've talked to people who like, they could have been the world Muay Thai champ and the situation they were in, it just wouldn't have helped in any way. Because when we talk about criminal violence, we talk about non-consensual violence. We didn't sign up for this. We didn't prep for it. We didn't get a watch fight tape. The There's so many other factors in it that change the encounter. And so that's where I started getting my focus onto because I started realizing like, I have a daughter. I mentioned her every like 15 seconds, but I have a daughter. And honestly, the way I trained when I was 23, because I'm not a small dude, I'm six foot one, I'm 200 pounds, I'm a big guy, right? So uh, what I would do to defend myself is not what my daughter should do to defend herself because I can make things work that she couldn't, right? But education is accessible now. Technique takes time. So I could teach you something right now on how to look at the world that would make you so much safer than perfecting a rear naked choke.
0: Absolutely. Like, I mean, there's a lot to unpack. There's something that I kind of picked out of that. And I'll kind of add context is that uh, throughout the people that I train, I train some people as young as like 13 or 14 years old. And a lot of the times that they're drawn towards fitness is often based around confidence or just uh, being able to kind of survive the crazy world that we're in, whether it be bullying or, or things like that. And when you kind of described like your, uh, your attraction to the power Rangers and just like going after kind of like the superhero figure that doesn't get picked on. I was kind of thinking about some of the younger people that I've worked on or worked with and just like how they have made fitness a part of their life mm-hmm. to protect themselves. Maybe right? it's just emotionally, maybe it's just uh, confidence wise, but, uh, let's say you had like the 14-year-old version of yourself sitting mm-hmm. across from you and you could only help them with one sentence, what would that sentence be?
1: Oh, what a good question. So because self-defense self is so context-based, it's a good for talking to me. I actually think the route that I took originally was the right route. The only thing I would have added to that was uh, there are other ways to prove you are correct other than using your fists. hmm because i then so my story goes from like oh shy nerdy kid to from 18 to 19 to 24 i was kind of a toxic bully i wasn't the best version of myself because i went from 300 pounds to 185 pounds people started talking to me i was a good fighter i had a rep and so i would have grounded myself knowing that was coming in don't treat the other people now like they treated you to get back at them
0: yeah well i mean like that. That is so true. And it's just, even with conversations that I've had with people, I reflect on my younger self and I'm like, you know, my younger self was very reactive. Just like, I wanted to prove something. I would snap all these different things, but knowing what I know now with the life experiences that I've had, I almost like centered around the point that like our words are very powerful and not to sound like fluffy. But it's just like we can avoid a lot of situations through clarifying through context or almost like setting boundaries. Um, If you're doing a presentation to a bunch of young kids, how would you kind of construct that for them and like helping them to set boundaries or helping them gain respect from their peers in ways that didn't escalate the situation?
1: Sure. So if we're talking about a presentation, we have to dial into what we call the 90 percenters or the most common stuff. And we can't focus on black swan events or outliers. Right. And this is where I think a lot of people get it wrong is so I post on social media, have a bit of a following like I do. I travel and stuff. Right. So what people don't understand, even in social media posts, I'm sure you get this, Chris, is. Uh, you can't, you can't address every issue in 180 characters. You just, you can't do it. Right. So you focus on a thing. Now, I think the opposite happens when you're talking in a presentation, the goal is to hit as many targets as possible, but you're not going to hit everybody's target. So I think the first thing I would say, if we're talking about boundaries in specific is first just teaching them number one. And it's the bottom of my training pyramid is permission right? Permission that you are allowed to say, no, you are allowed to set a boundary. You are allowed to want to defend yourself. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with victims of horrific abuse and as part of their strategy, because martial arts is not therapy. Everybody's like, Oh, jujitsu is my therapy. No, it's not. Therapy is therapy. I've never like, I've never once like put an arm bar on somebody and been like, I think I should reconnect with my dad. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't, that doesn't happen. So as part of a healing strategy, self-defense of martial arts does work. It shouldn't be the entire strategy that falls apart. But I think that most people just don't realize that they are, they're allowed to do stuff, right? Maybe they didn't grow up with body autonomy. Maybe they grew up with an overbearing parent. Maybe they uh, grew up with a step step parent that they wanted to like. And there was always like uh, a price for their relationship. And so they grew up. And most people, especially North America, we grow up with this like understanding that maybe our view isn't important. And when we do think it's important, it gets squashed by the cultural backlash. Right. So step one is permission. You are good enough to defend. You are worth defending. You are worth you're allowed to say that you don't like stuff. You're allowed to set these boundaries up. Um, and obviously, the younger you can get that into people, the better it is. But that takes time. So that would be step one is permission, because. I've worked with people who were like, oh, I didn't know I could say no to that. Or uh, I actually work with a woman who uh, is amazing and is, is killing it now. But when we first started with her, she was uh, abused sexually a whole bunch of times, like uh, an abnormal amount of times. And uh, we came down to the question. We got pretty personal. I would never ask this question to a group. So we're talking about like a black swan now. But I asked like, OK, so like I understand everything that happened, but why did you never like Physically try to stop. Them. Like, were you? Did you try once and you failed? And blah 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 blah. And her exact answer was, "I didn't think I was worth defending. So why just let them do whatever they want, right? There is unlimited. She had unlimited permissions. So when we talk about boundaries and permissions, we have there's like three types of boundaries, right? There's two unhealthy ones and one healthy one. Unhealthy boundary one is you have a wall that nobody can get in. There's no gate, so you're always saying no to everything. No, I'm not gonna do anything because you're hurt. Then we have there's no wall and it's entirely permissive, everything's allowed in. Good boundaries, I always use the castle metaphor, good boundaries like a castle, right? You need strong enough walls to keep out the bad, but gates that work to let in the good, right? And if you just have walls and no gate, you starve inside because you can't get supplies. And if you have just gates and no walls then anybody can enter your space. So teach them permissions and then teach them that like, boundaries don't mean just saying no, because when you first work with people, especially on the boundary setting side of things, They think like, oh, I don't want to be rude or I don't want to be, you know, seen as lesser than or that I'm paranoid or whatever. And getting out of your own head, that's a permission part is so important because we get in our own way. I'm sure you see this in the fitness industry all the time, right? But we get in our own way a lot. So presentation step one, permission. You're allowed to, um, you are worth it and people should respect your opinion. Simple as that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I love how you frame that, especially with the castle piece, because like oftentimes what I'll use in my dialogue with training anybody of any age is kind of like the protecting the house or protecting the castle, just because we are an entity and we deserve like a good human experience, like in, in the simplest of terms. And in my dialogue with one of my clients, it was just Um, I kind of reflected on my own times through like junior, senior high school, maybe elementary. And there'd be times that uh, things would be going really well. And then there would be times when I would kind of face some kind of pushback and I wasn't really being treated that fairly. And what kind of stood out to me the most was the lessons that I had learned through maybe not taking the best response Mm -hmm. and how I could kind of like improve upon that when I'm imparting little like life lessons to someone else. And kind of the, the sentiment that I left with him was that uh, this doesn't have to be your high school experience. This doesn't have to be your junior high experience. Like this is not what you have to accept. And so um, almost simply put like a person can take the steps with how they reflect on themselves, with how they see themselves, with how they describe themselves. And the outcome will be much different in the sense that when you start to think of yourself and understand, like, I don't have to tolerate this, then just your body language can be different and your tone can be different. And that makes a huge difference going forward. And like, so it's just, we have such an opportunity as people in our spaces to impart these little nuances within mm-hmm. communication to kind of help people without um, going out of scope or without uh, causing them to feel like they have to almost overdo their, their reaction. It's just simply like standing their ground and their ground being something that's very realistic. It's just like, Hey, this is who I am. This is how I show up. You can't push me around. Um, I don't have to do anything to prove it. Uh, this is just how it is.
1: Yeah. I can't agree more. And that's this is the thing when it comes to. So, if we go like, so ad, that's a great general, if we're going to dial it back into like a self defense thing. The, the, People like I've done hundreds. We've done case studies and research, and I'm a huge research book nerd. And I'm always like in this, trying to keep up to date because it does kind of evolve and change. And the two biggest factors we see when it comes to victim selection, like a predator or a bully, doesn't always have to be like mugger in the alley. It could be a overbearing boss, or it could be a time thief. Or there's other areas we look at when we do the training. Um, the two things they look at is people with weak boundaries and people with weak social circles, right? So if I'm searching for a potential victim, as I'm the bad guy here in this scenario, I would look for somebody maybe new to town to pick on because they don't have the cultural backing they need or somebody's very permissive, right? And not to get dark, but when you look at when children are selected by the predators, they almost always want kids that have no real solid connections at home or kids that just are too quiet, right? They're not going to say anything because- Predators, there's a big myth in self-defense, which is stranger danger, which is, you know, it's the the guy in the alley, the person on the trail, the whatever. And that's just categorically untrue. 30% of the time that does happen, but 70% of the time, this is the low end, I'm being very uh, cautious with the, with the numbers because it dials up. 70% of time, the victim knows the perpetrator. There is some kind of relationship, right? So whether it's a uh, a boss, a scout master, a coach, uh, ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, right? We they know them. There's an established relationship 70 percent of the time. So when the per- this person has access, because predators go to where the prey is, right? You're going to go to the watering hole. They are looking for people to build relationships with, and they're constantly testing and checking. And if you have good boundaries, like you were talking about, just in general, the odds of you being selected are low because predators' goal sets are to not get hurt, to not get caught. And then to be able to do this again, so they're only going to select the people that they believe they can manipulate. And I always use the joke, right? Like most people don't go if you look at social violence because we split violence into two categories: social and asocial. If you look at social violence, it's like the bro ego violence. Nobody goes to the bar and is like can't wait to get beaten up in front of all my friends, right? Like nobody. They only pick fights they believe they're going to win. You can believe incorrectly, but they're not going to pick a fight with a person they think they're going to lose to because they don't get that status or rep. When we go to the asocial side, the predatory side, they're looking for a resource from you or to use you as a uh, play thing, right? Um, they also don't want to get caught. They're not going to choose a victim that can fight back, that can uh, that can do damage to them. And when I say this, people now envision like getting into shape and obviously getting into shape is super helpful. But there's plenty of large men that get abused by smaller women because they have no boundaries. They don't know what to say. They're too scared to fight back, et cetera, et cetera, right? So when I say they can do the thing again, that doesn't mean physically. It means maybe you have bad time boundaries and your boss can abuse you by taking you to work more and it's going to affect your life, right? Or maybe you were selected because you're a gentle giant, right? And you could be big and sure you could be Jack. You could be Arnold Schwarzenegger big. But if you're meek and quiet, then that anybody could take advantage of, maybe not physically. There's so many ways that people do this, right? There's this narrative that, well, there's something we say, but it needs to expand on is when we talk to victims, our rule is you cannot survive wrong. So whatever you did to survive the encounter you were in, if you were telling me the story, you did the right thing. Right? We hate going back and like armchair quarterbacking horrible situations. There's so much context in it. Right. But also understand that there's a narrative of like, you know, you come from a, a bloodline of survivors. Right. And you do like that's not wrong but not everybody's family line was Vikings and Samurais, right? Like some of us survived because we were good salespeople and some of us survived because, you know, we knew uh, we could invent something. So yes, you come from a line of survivors, but there's a ton of ways to survive that don't always involve being like uh, Floki from Vikings, right? Like there's other options you can do other than just physically damaging somebody. And that's, that's where we get into the weeds and self-defense.
0: Well, for sure. And I mean, like, you you add context to an important aspect of fitness in the sense that like it's great to um, get muscle mass from fitness, but if you are not getting like the holistic benefits in the sense mm. that you actually gain like autonomy and you gain that like self awareness and you start to set boundaries, like you realize that your routine is so important that you need to have a career that lines up with that in the sense that you're able to get your one hour for your training or for just like meal prep or whatever it is. And that's kind of something that I, like, I think we we can't value that enough because of how it helps our life as a whole, because once we're kind of setting those like kind of rules or just that template in place, then we're able to kind of scale that out and, and tackle bigger goals and exactly. foster stronger connections.
1: Right, you can't work from a bad foundation, right? So if if your entire identity is wrapped up in so a personal story, right? So uh, there was the COVID fifteen. I think I did the COVID fifty. I put on so much weight during COVID; it was unbelievable. And I've always been a bigger guy, but this is really big. So I'm back on a journey of trying to get back in shape. That's the goal because being in better shape is better repeatability. If you get into a situation, there's tons of reasons to be in good shape. Uh, Also, just your mentality, right? And that's definitely one of the things that people forget when it comes to the fitness side of things just that confidence in your own body right and you can get that from anything it doesn't have to be looking like a bodybuilder you could get it from dance yoga you get it from lots of other spaces you know i'm sure i'm preaching the choir here but understanding that like once you once you take away the internal i don't like myself mirror it's very easy to stop other people from taking advantage of you but if you're already on this inward i suck place then very easy for the world to manipulate you. Cause you already think you're not worth it. You already think you're crappy as is. So now anybody can come and take advantage of that situation. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you kind of shed light on something that I've experienced for firsthand in the sense that anytime that like my internal monologue was negative, yeah. um, the people that I've attracted into my life mirrored that mm-hmm. so they, they amplified everything bad that I said about myself. And as soon as I flipped the switch and just started pumping my own tires, even if it felt a little bit like uncomfortable, um, the people around me amplified that instead. And so like we, we have this sense of control and it's just the weird thing is it's uncomfortable to kind of like uh, uh, put ourselves first. Like it just kind of seems like off base or it seems like we're doing something wrong, but it's, it's a matter of survival. If we are not putting ourselves in that uh, place, Nobody else can do that for us. They, they, Even if they really wanted to, they don't have the, uh, they're not able to. They are right. not in our brain. They can't do it.
1: Well, it's, this is a very overused metaphor, but it's overused. So correct. Right. And if you've ever flown, they always say, put the mask on yourself first before you put the mask on others, because you can't pour from an empty cup, right? You can't, if you can't breathe, you can't help other people. So there is a place where we need to have a foundation, of base to work from, right? Like if you're in a bad spot and, you know, like an emergency comes up and maybe you're using extracurricular chemicals to deal with your situation, not only will you not be able to help that situation, you're also going to internalize that on you suck at everything, right? So you need to have a strong foundation to build anything on. It's a very individualistic perspective. And I know our culture is moving more towards a like communal base. We're very individualistic. We're moving more communal now, which is good, but we still have to work from that. Like if your backyard is kept, it's much easier to go cut your neighbor's lawn, right? Like if you can make sure that you are taken care of, it's easier to take care of other people. And I use this in my boundary setting presentation. I have like a whole six hour course on online and in person. But the example I always use is I have a, a friend of mine she hates when I use her name, so I won't. Uh, but she is probably the most charitable person I've ever met in my entire life. Like, she is volunteering all. She is just like, I've never seen somebody give so much in my life. She is also the person with the strongest boundaries I've ever seen in my entire life because she sets her self-care up. She sets up her time so she can refill that energy to give back, right? So we get in this narrative of like, oh, this going to be helping and giving and helping giving and self-care is wrong. And there's this toxic productivity culture where you only need three hours of sleep. And if you're not grinding at 4 a.m., then everybody's passing you. And you're like, no, that's not, that's not how this works. Like if you don't get good sleep, you're not going to be able to be functional to other people. But I love it because like, I'll try to like meet her for coffee. And if it's outside of her meeting for coffee, it, I could be like, I have cancer. You want to meet? She'd be like, I'll see you on Tuesday. Like she's so like, but that's necessary for her to be the most generous person I've ever seen. Right. And this is what we forget is if we don't recharge and her recharge, she's got to like falling down to like, she does like a meditation class. She does a workout every day. Uh, and then she has like a book day or something and that's it. But the those times are sacred to her. Mm -hmm. And in order for her to do that, she could do the 800 other things. She's not always burning herself out. Right. And that way I think too, with her knowing her personal time boundaries, she then can schedule more effective time. Right. So it's no longer quantity time. It's really quantity or quality time.
0: Well, I mean, the funny thing about boundaries and like that, that air mask analogy, just like you got to put your mask on yourself before you put it on for others in my life experience so far i've found that we have to like sit in the shit to actually like really learn that (laughs) um like i'll kind of share a personal anecdote from from my own experiences in the sense that like i think it was 2020 before the pandemic um i was just absolutely emptying my bucket for other people in my life right and i had a few close friends that were just highlighting that they're like hey um i can see that you're like going above and beyond for these other people and like your own career is suffering for it and this person is taking advantage of you for it and they're not going to stop um and it was just like throughout the pandemic we all probably learned some lessons and some like got some introspection and like i got completely cut off by this person that i was helping and that was that's what i needed that's that's what made boundaries very clear to me like it uh, made me realize that, okay, like this person will watch me crumble to the ground, mm-hmm. but feel no responsibility for it. Right. And then that's what we have to learn in life. And then from there, I realized, okay, well, I have like basic essential needs towards my ability to have like the the compound effect take play for me to be able to continuously improve. Um, get that progressive overload um, to ascend through my personal goals to um, because within our own uh, direction, in order to progress with our house goals, with our career goals, there's certain things that require certain amounts of time. Mm -hmm. And so we in turn start to guard that. And there's certain like uh, boundaries that need to be respected, like cancellation rules and pricing and everything like that. Because if we start to waver on that, then we are not on track towards our end goal. And the pandemic and that experience made it just abundantly clear to me. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say, I really relate to that person that you highlighted there with just that, like filling my cup is, uh, it's like a non-negotiable, but it is very, very small. Like it is very precise, like, um,
1: but it works because I guard it like with my life. <laughs> and as you should, right? And the saying we tell people because we live in a sound by generation, right? Me and my daughter started a TikTok channel. And as you can see, I'm a bit wordy. Holy man, has that edited me? Um, but uh the saying we say is givers have to be aware of their limits because takers have none, right? If you are a giver, you can only give so much, but a taker can always take. They have unlimited ability to do that. So you need, if you're a giver and I've seen your stuff, I follow you, like you are a giver. There's no way around that. So a person, especially with your personality type, a really generous person, if you're not a little bit guarded with your time and energy resources, you will get drained for sure. Because that's what takers do is they find good people and they take and take. And then either A, they self-reflect thankfully like you did. And find a way to do that, or they become bitter and takers themselves, and then the world gets worse, right? So we really need to have that understanding that if we don't stop giving, we have to stop giving because people will never stop taking; they just won't.
0: Well, I mean, like I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of people that listen to this show probably relate to me in the sense that they are also givers. So I'm just right. on the air going to issue this warning for them: if you find yourself being uh, surrounded by takers. Those takers will watch you burn to the ground and then they'll blame you for all of their problems. So be sure to um, be on the lookout for people who are not reciprocating the value that uh, you bring to them and protect protect the house. Like that is protect the castle, protect the house. But like, please hear that loud and clear from me who learned it the hard way find ways to learn it less difficultly yeah. um, and identify the things that fill your bucket and start just guarding them like you've never guarded anything before. Right.
1: That's, that's awesome. I, I can't agree more.
0: Um, when you talked about your experience as a balancer, Mm -hmm. Just that instance where you actually got stabbed. I can only imagine just like the, the buildup that would have had to occur to get yourself. So you had that sense of confidence again. Like what was that journey like to go from like that down, that down moment to getting up to where you're doing presentations in multiple countries and you're in your wheelhouse
1: well so the joke i like to make is uh this is the only career that you can fail and then get money from it so anytime anybody hires me for a knife defense seminar i always laugh i'm like why would you hire the guy that got stabbed instead of the people that don't but i think this is the it's an issue with the industry because there's all this hero worship and whatever garbage but how did i get back it was honestly a long journey um and again like i said uh predators look people's weak communities. I am very lucky that I have a strong community. So I used to run a, I used to have a full-time gym space here before touring and speaking became my gig. Uh, it was called KPC self-defense in Edmonton. And, uh, that was an amazing community because I kept teaching, uh, but I started teaching the stuff that was going to help me in that area. So for the first little bit during my depression era, I stopped teaching self-defense entirely. I'm like, this is martial arts. A lot of this is, you know, uh, Reality-based Dungeons and Dragons, right? It's all it's fake. We're just going to like learn how to kick, and it's a fitness thing, right? Um, and then when I got the book and I started, that sense of community was needed because the book showed me that I wasn't the only one that experienced this, right? And this is where, in my opinion, in my humble, untrained opinion, as a goon gone good, I'm not a psychologist in any way. But when you you don't want to be average when it comes to good things, you want to be like, you want to stand out from the crowd, but when something bad happens to you, you want to be average. You don't want to be the only person this happened to. Does that make sense? Yep. So when I read like, oh, Navy SEALs experienced this freeze and oh, like this jail guard, I'm like, okay, so I'm not lesser than, because I'll tell you right now, Chris, like the, the, the analogy I use is my ego crashed into the, to the cliff of reality. And it was blown apart. I thought I was this invincible guy. What a bunch of drunken bar fights, woo, pump my tires, build my ego. Thought I was this tough guy. And then when the violence switched from social to asocial, when the person was trying to end me and not just trying to build a rep off of me, that changed the intensity, the intent, everything. And when I got a peek at that real violence, like that real, like this is life or death for this person, um, it scared me. It 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 hit it hit a part of my brain that. I didn't think I'd have to see, because I come from a my checkered background. I was in a very bad situation in my childhood. So I experienced stuff like that then. Then I got out of that, and I experienced only the social side of things, right? Be a tough guy, be charming, be friendly, be fun, You know, get in a couple fights, throw a good right cross, you're going to be okay. And then when I got a peek back at that real, I don't want to use the word evil, because I don't want to say the person was evil. I don't know what their intentions were. But when I got a real peek at like the... The life or death, the extreme amount this person was willing to go through to walk into a bar, right? Like on a Wednesday night when nobody was there, like the level of intent this person has, it, it took me back. So the first thing I had to accept is, like, th- there's a, a visceral difference between uh, the martial culture, the self defense culture, and like a culture of war. Like when soldiers go to a war zone. They now, because of what we've learned through research, they now, when they leave the zone, they don't come directly home anymore. They go to a secondary location and they decompress because the skills you need to survive in a war zone are not the skills that will help you succeed in a civilian place right? What you need to think, what you need to do, what you have to be capable of are not going to generally jump over to getting a job in advertising or social media influence, It's just not going to work out. So there's a decompressed place. And I think that's what that year was for me was like, I had to know everything. That's who I am as a person, right? Like, uh, again, my daughter's laughing at me because I learned everything about TikTok in like a day. I'm like, here's how the algorithm works, blah, 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 because I need to know. It's just who I am. And so- I just really dove deep into the darkest aspects of, of violence, of what happens to people, what people are experiencing. And, and this is one of the issues with the industry I'm trying to fix with my upcoming show that we're going to have Chris on, of course, uh, is uh, self-defense from all angles, is a lot of the people talking about self-defense look like me right they're 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 white they're male um, they come from some kind of training background right but there's there's kids who live in bad neighborhoods that know so much more about threat detection than i do like so much more just because of how they live their life so number one was deconstructing the ego of myself realizing that i can lose we are all mortal there is no train to 100% number two was realizing that my training at the time didn't actually look at the whole picture of violence. I looked at a very small subsection of it, which is where most people live because it's the easiest thing to teach. So then from there, I went on a journey. I went to uh, the Philippines and trained for two months. I did, I trained a bunch of instructors. I started taking some psychology classes. I looked into as much stuff as I possibly could to get a hold of that. And then where my confidence started coming back was when my martial arts classes went from 100% dudes to 50% men and women. And it changed because women would come to intro class if they would shake their heads and leave. Because I was like alpha bro, giga Chad dude, right? Like skull, Randy's tough, fights, bouncer guy, right? And then, then I started being like, well, you know, there's predatory violence and that might be longer and there's different ways. And then there's like, whoa, this person is actually saying stuff that is that checks with people outside of that martial athlete 14 to 24 demographic, right? And that I think is where my confidence started to build. And I started seeing um, the difference in the world because it stopped being about me being a superhero. And it started becoming about the people around me getting better. So I was building a community as opposed to building myself. And that is where the, the switch came from. But honestly, like you said, right, it came from deep reflection. It came from deconstructing. It came from looking at the parameters of the problem. And honestly, like, seeing problems I didn't know existed. I used to do a series on YouTube called Randy's Rants. And there's an aha moment where I'm like, we are training women wrong. And I went to a self-defense seminar for women. I taught a women's seminar, but as an instructor, I like to teach with people, not at people. So I always like, do you have any questions? One of my things I use, Chris, all the time is, uh, I have what's called, uh, I give everybody a BS flag. So everybody have a BS flag in your pocket. If I say anything you think is incorrect, throw it. You don't have to ask a question, you don't have to say anything, but throw the flag and I will explain why I think that and then we can have a discussion. When I started that that ritual, a lot lot of flags were thrown, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. A lot of people like, that's not my experience. Oh, that's a very big, large, popular dude view, not a a person of color view. Uh, And now I'm happy to say I very rarely get a BS flag thrown. But I had to put myself out there in order to learn and hear other stories and hear these other points of view, because the biggest problem in the self-defense industry to me is all the good coaches have a piece, a sliver of what real violence looks like, including me. I hope my sliver is bigger, but I have a sliver, right? I do not know what it's like to be a 13-year-old woman in a a poor socioeconomic country where the police are paid by bribes alone. I don't know what that looks like. Right. I just don't. I want to hear that story. So maybe I get a touch point on it, but there will never be an expert in this field. And I hate the term expert. It drives me crazy because expert implies, you know, all of it. And, there are psychologists right now. I was very lucky to talk to the uh, head, the head professor at Harvard for psychology. He did a study on the freeze and how, what happens this is what happened to me when I got stabbed was a freeze. So I did a big focus on that. And I use his model adapted a bit for self-defense, which is new to the industry completely. But even he was like, yeah, and like, we kind of got this, but this isn't it yet either. Right. And so there's so much squishy stuff when it comes to psychology and the stuff from self-defense
0: that well i mean like there's there's a lot to take away from that and you had me like almost enchanted with uh, <laughs> how much material you went through there yeah something that i wanted to highlight within this episode is just you mentioned being a dad fatherhood yep. is very important to you it is um, and what i have witnessed in the last like year or two is just many of my colleagues just becoming dads in these last couple of years. Like, I mean, um, it was a great opportunity to, to enter that journey for a lot of people. And yeah. the cool thing is just uh, the pride in like uh, leading by example for a lot of people, just being like, Hey, this is what I'm passionate about. Let me introduce you to this. Um, this is my why. Like they really want to show their, their children um, their essence. So- right what has your experience been and what kind of advice would you impart on these other guys um, based on what you have maybe learned the hard way or the easy
1: way as a dad, what, what lessons to have as a dad. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, so I don't know if I can speak from any point of authority here, to be honest, my daughter is awesome. Uh, she's been very easy my entire life and also our brains work exactly the same. So it's very easy for me to get topics into her head because she is my brain with much less trauma in it. So it's a much easier lesson. I would say though, I think you already kind of nailed it to be honest. I don't know what I can add is share your passions and and kids are always watching, they're always listening. They're not just listening when you sit them down to tell them something, right? So if you're like, oh, you gotta respect women, but then your entire Instagram feed they see over your shoulder is you liking women in bikinis, which isn't wrong. It's just counter to the message that you are giving them. Uh, they're gonna take those actions far over words. And that's communication in general, right? Chris, you focus on communication, I focus on communication. But like we've all heard the stat, right? Only like, 10% of all communication is words. That's why text messages are so hard, right? There's tone, inflection, body language, so many other things. That's why podcasts are great. Video podcasts are better because you can see that, right? And I learned that the hard way because I speak very upfront and frank. And if you don't hear my tone being like a little bit jovial on a text, I seem (laughs) real mean and I don't mean to be. So I think that's what you have to do is, is, is show, don't tell right? You have to, you have to live, do the life that you're doing. So example, yesterday, I have been complaining about how chunky I got over the last little bit. I felt that I'm in pictures a lot. We did a tour last year. I'm gearing up for a Europe tour in September and uh, I don't want to be chunks McGee. I also have a wedding. Like I'm already married, but the ceremony's coming up in July and I don't want to be like, you know, tons of fun dad and all the pictures. I just don't. So the, me and my daughter, stay, we did stairs, and I told her, and this is the other thing I think the parents have trouble with is they don't want to seem weak to their kids. And honestly, if you don't show you overcoming weakness, where are they going to pattern learning to overcoming weakness, right? If you're always perfect, then, and they're not perfect, they're going to think like, oh, my dad figured this out. How could I not do this? What's, why am I deficient where they were not deficient? So if you don't share your struggle and show them, right? So the stairs were, humbling at best yesterday she's running up and down she's like athlete gold medals whatever she plays she's annoyingly good at and i'm like all right here comes chunks right i'm trying to get up the stairs and and do the thing and and she saw me sweating and dying we got to the top and there was no point where she was like oh my dad's so out of shape all she saw was like like, dad i can't believe you did all those stairs i'm like i'm gonna hate it tomorrow and like i'm you're not going to see Phil me getting out of this chair. Cause it'll take a long time. Like my legs are sore, <laughs> but it was, it was important for her to see the struggle, right? Cause I've done this weight up and down thing. A lot of times, if you don't share the struggle, it's not going to work. I had the exact same thing with my coaching. Uh, I was, I'm a bodyguard. I used to be a bodyguard. I'm not anymore. It's stupid and dumb, but I have a, I'm a certified bodyguard and I was actually, I had a contract in Libya that I was supposed to go to. I didn't go to it because the crew before us all died. So, I like missed it by one. Yeah, it was really scary. Um, it was when Gaddafi was coming down. It was like a big, crazy time, but lots of money. It would have paid for my kids' college. So, it was worth the risk. Um, thankfully, I didn't go on that shift. But, anyways, that's not the story. I'm not trying to say how cool I am, trying to say how much I sucked. So, I was gearing up to go. So, I started training with my clients for the first time in a long time. Because, as a coach, you know, right? Like, there's so many coaches that, that like, get bigger or they lose their fitness because they stop focusing on themselves. They start focusing on their group. Like I thought when I opened a martial arts, I'm going to be the best shape ever. Nope. While they're training, I'm teaching and then I'm doing taxes and then I'm doing advertising. And then, well, I guess we'll have this quick sugar hit and then that'll get me through the day. So anyways, I was getting back into shape. I wish I was in that shape now, but back into shape for this trip. And uh, I started stress testing with the group and I did poorly. I didn't do as well as I would in the drill. And I thought my students were going to leave. But what the feedback I got was, oh, my God, it's amazing to see you stress test because even you mess up. So when we mess up, it's okay. And that was not the response I was expecting. I was expecting, oh, this is clearly garbage because even the coach can't make it work. But that's not what I got back. What I got back was, oh, it's amazing to see you being mortal, which means we're allowed to be mortal. And I think that's the most important thing. So super long answer again, Chris, I'm sorry. What I would tell parents is this, show your struggle put them, make them a part of it. My daughter now is like in charge of certain things when she's here. So if I'm like, ah, we're not doing anything today. She's in charge of yes, we are. Let's go. And now that she's part of it, like, cause trust me as a dad, I don't know. I can't speak for every dad, but I don't want to let my kid down. And so if I give her responsibility to Matt to monitor me, it shows her autonomy. It shows her power and it makes sure that I don't fail on my goals.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's a lot of value from that and a lot of lessons to be taken, even just within the coaching sphere, because you're right. Like a lot of people are scared to kind of show their metrics within their fitness as to Mm -hmm. when we are like, maybe not at our 90% that we aspire to be at. Maybe we're showing up as 60 or 70%. And most often it is literally because we are focused on like the business side of things. Yeah. And like, the truth is a lot of people, cause like, I, I would have to say of all of my things that I brought to my career as a trainer, my communication is probably the thing that's kept me in the role. Right. And so I've been able to communicate with my clients at a high level to which they've given me the feedback that um, my vulnerability towards my own journey is what kept them with me through mm-hmm. the pandemic, et cetera. But it doesn't mean that like you're, you're out just because like, just because you're vulnerable about that you struggle with things doesn't check the box. You are right. vulnerable that you struggle with things, then put in effort and the right. effort can be like relative to what you have the capacity for during that phase of your life, but there has to be some effort. Um, and so it just, it makes such a big difference to express effort throughout any venture that you have and knowing that like there aren't these like false expectations that you have to meet a certain mark to be able to, to like, make it to where you want to be. It is simply that like, if you consistently try every day, mm-hmm. um, the outcome will be better than if you missed a few days or yes. than if you had never
1: tried at all. Right. I, I, yeah. And I personally, like on my side of things, I'm obviously very open about my struggle as well. Uh, it's part of the message and, that's the thing, right? Because I followed your stuff, and you're very big on that. Like, look, I'm not. I'm I'm getting back into shape. This is what I'm doing. I don't care. And that people need to see that because it, social media is so much the highlight reel, and it's not the bloopers, right? It's everybody's only showing the best versions of themselves. I have a story where uh, I have a friend of mine who travels, and I travel a lot. I'm like, because I'm very lucky. I travel for work a lot. Again, thankfully, pandemic is over. Well, over. Uh, so we. Uh, I remember my girlfriend at the time. She was complaining that this couple—they're like—they're always on a trip. Like we're, we don't travel nearly as much, but we travel all the time. But yeah, they do seem like they're always on a trip. And then we met them at a party. And then the the ladies went and did whatever. And so my friend was like, "Dude, you got to stop posting me travel pictures." She keeps yelling at me that you guys are always traveling. I'm like, "What? We said that about you?" <laughs> right? So the social media, like the the myth of social media, is so crazy because. Both of us were having the same arguments with our partner about the other person doing more stuff than us. Like that's so crazy. You're not recording like on the couch again, eating Cheetos. Like that's probably not what you're doing. Right. You're only showing the highlights and social media gets toxic like that because then you think that people are always doing so much better than you and blah, blah, blah. Like one of the biggest misnomers people get for me because I also share the highlights. They're like, oh, Rand, he must be just like rolling in money. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Like a lot of the stuff I do is volunteer. Like anytime, like at a woman's shelter, I'm not charging these people $5,000 appearance fee. I'm not a monster, right? Like, so, but social media creates this false narrative. So I like, get people coming out of the woodwork, like want to invest in my business. like I have no money because I'm building what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get a house. I I just got married. I have a child who has braces that are super expensive for some reason. So there's, there's other things, but the social media stuff, it's so poisonous. Well,
0: I mean, you nailed it. And another thing that you kind of uh, drew attention to is just opportunities, because I think sometimes we forget where opportunities come from. They'll kind of add context to that. So people look at social media and they're seeing what a person does and they're like, Oh man, that person is so lucky. Like, why do they get that? And I don't get that. But oftentimes what happens is like that person that has those opportunities is they have consistently positioned themselves in a spot where it's easier for them to be given that shot than it would be for someone else. And oftentimes what it is, is that person consistently expressed effort and it could be in any modality Mm -hmm. but they kept trying and kept trying and someone else that had a project wanted somebody who was just willing to try it and they saw someone who was trying something and like when it comes to anything that i do for my work um because right now i'm i have basically four different jobs right so if a person unpacked that they'd be like, "Oh man like he's he's getting a lot of opportunities just being handed to him and it's like no like i no matter whether i had a good day or a bad day or something worked out or didn't work out I kept trying yeah. and it it paid off. It just like the outcome of that paid off, but now bringing it over to you, you've highlighted that you're going on tour in September. Yeah. And so that could be an instance where someone in your space or someone who's connected to you might be like, Oh, he just got handed that. But mm-hmm. me, my life experience, I know that that is not true. Yeah. So like, what have been like, let's just highlight like two things that could have been pivotal in leading to you being able to rack up the reps to get to that phase right. where you're doing a tour.
1: Great. So touring has been the goal. So number one, I had a goal in mind, right? I knew what I was going for. Too many people are shotgunning, right? They're like, oh, I want to be famous here and do this and then that. And it's like, you if you don't have a strategy for anything, you're not going to accomplish, right? Fitness, it doesn't matter, right? If you don't have a comprehensive major goal and strategy. It's not going to work out. We do this. We teach this in self-defense as well, right? Like if your goal is to become a UFC champ, you're not going to train with me. You, I can give you nothing that's going to help you. If your goal is to go through your life as frictionless as possible, that's kind of my deal. So the the thing is, and I think I just want to highlight what you're saying is a lot of people are like, oh, that person was an overnight success. When they not realize they've worked for 15 years to be an overnight success, right? So uh, one of the things that I like to tell people is I don't get outworked. I just don't. Uh, you can't outwork me. You can try and If you do, I'll work harder. Um, so what's given me the opportunities is is taking every opportunity I could take. What has got me to the position where people care what I say is really knowing what I'm talking about, right? Like there's a lot of, I think I want to boil this down into one thing or a couple of things. You said two, but it might be more. I'm going to boil it down. So if you don't know what you stand for and what you're trying to accomplish, you will never accomplish anything as far as I'm concerned, right? So I am am like 5 and 0 in converting people on TikTok and comments to my point of view, which is very hard to do on social media. And the reason why I am is because I've sat down. I know what my beliefs, my ethics, my morals are. I know what I'm trying to accomplish. I know what the goal of what I'm trying to do is. And that's where the opportunities present themselves is because of the consistency in both effort and message, right? I see consistency in effort, but I don't see consistency in message. I have a friend who is has all of the tools to be way more successful than me but it's every three months they're trying something different. It's like the people who like start a program, they didn't get the results, they jump the next program, right? They don't work it. That applies to your business philosophy as well. Like if you're not, like I have been preaching educational-based self-defense forever. And I've went through phases where we were trolled, where people hated us. We had a war with a gym that doesn't exist anymore here because of what we were teaching. People called it garbage because it wasn't what they were doing, but we stayed true to the message. And now I'm reaching the people I need to reach right? The other thing is the reason have the opportunities I am is I realize I'm not everything to everyone. I'm just not. So it's not even about, I guess I'm kind of going kind to of talk of both sides of my mouth here. It's actually more important to realize, to turn down specific things than it is to take everything coming at you, right? Like there's been lots of things where people have invited me to something that might've got me a lot of eyeballs, but it was so far off my message that it actually would have been detrimental to my career to do that thing, even though that immediate uh, gratification would have been cool. Right? So this is a marathon, not a sprint. You need to have consistency in the same direction all the time. If you're twitching directions, you're not going to make that, that ground you want to make. So, yeah, I think that's how I boil it down. What got me here was really refining my message, really working on it. Um, Doing and just doing the work. Like the best way to get more reps is to do more reps. Right. So I am working on a book right now that's going to be out in September. That's ideally, it's going to be out in September um, about self defense. And one of the coolest things the book is doing is making me hone my message even more. Right. So just do the work in the space and maybe don't even do it in the way you think it's done. Right. Like there's, there's maintenance opportunities and there's growth opportunities right? Maintenance opportunities are getting another client you can maintain now, right? But one trading one hour of your life to one client is beneficial, but you're not going to really grow from there. They're only going to have X amount of referrals. You need them, but you're only going to have so many hours in a week. So what parts can you scale? That's going to be important as well, right? So you need to know your message. You need to continue on that path. If you don't keep that energy up, especially when it's low, you're, you're going to have a bad time. An example, when the pandemic first happened. So my business is traveling and physically touching people. That's what I do for a living, right? So the pandemic kind of put a damper on that for a couple of years. My entire income was tied up in that. And I don't know how much you follow me, Chris, but I had a fire just before the pandemic. So November, 2019, our entire life burned down. We lost everything. Four months later, we were locked on a pandemic. I had no time to recover, right? So, in that situation, the first thing I did to battle depression was become of service. So, I'm a little bit tech savvy. I have setups and lights, and I know how to do stuff in podcasts. So, I sent out an olive branch to all the instructors on my whatever social media, and I met some new ones because of it. And I said, "Hey, if you are now switching from in-person to online training, and you have no idea how to do that, but you need to keep your classes every week." I will do a free online seminar for your clients to give you the night to learn how to do this stuff. And I will also send you a couple of quick, easy things that are cheap to get you there. I ended up doing 40 of those, 40, oh yeah, 40 free seminars. I made zero money off of it, but I gave back so much to the community that now it's starting to get paid back in spades. Does that make sense?
0: it's very clear. Like everything that you've just unpacked is super aligned with uh, just my, my experience and kind of my views on things. Um, there was a few things that I wanted to to add to, to help make it uh, more valuable for our listeners Please. and watchers um, with what you showcased, with like marathon, not a sprint. What I've been kind of latching onto is sort of like creating such a clear vision and almost like branching off of like the, the law of attraction Um, and not to be super fluffy or anything, but it's just, if somebody asked what my goal would be for like age 50 or age 45, and right now I'm age 30, um, I can, it's clear as day to me. Like, I know exactly like what I'm geared for. I want to have a gym that looks like, I think there's this CrossFit athlete that has like a barn with the gym inside. Oh, cool. And like fully insulated, uh, I want to have top of the line equipment. I want to be supporting local fitness brands just because that's kind of like what I'm aligned with. I kind of like to find like-minded individuals. Right. I want to be uh, looking at renewable energy sources, having some solar panels, things like yes. that. I want to have space for walking. Like this is how clear my goals are. Right. Um, and that makes a huge difference because you highlighted how sometimes there's opportunities to grow fast, mm-hmm. but that is, Has like a a stop line to it, like it ends, and then there's no recovery from that. Right, mindful of that is a game changer when you're trying to actually reach your long term goals. Yeah, and like the best example is just social media growth. There's a lot of accounts that you'll see grow to twenty thousand very quickly, whether that's being bought followers, just polarizing messaging. Mm -hmm. Um, But once they hit that stop line, there is no recovering from it The reputation is attached to that, or just like the industry connections. And an example of that, which you brought light to right away was just how you put on 40 of those little events. Like, those are the things that we do that might seem dumb in the moment but they pay off dividends later on. Like for myself, I've been on a hot streak of showing up on podcasts because I taught like 20 people how to make a podcast. Right. And now they're getting to the point where they're ready to have me on their show or I just had like you and I have had some very meaningful chats in the DMs and I valued those greatly. And that's like what has created this connection for both of us is because we we actually have a genuine connection where we see a lot of things similarly and we've been able to kind of, learn from one another's media. Like I've learned so much different perspective and just seen things differently just from keeping up with your posts. Well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. (laughs) It's that's kind of the, the lane that I tend to follow is just like looking for the opportunities for how another person's presence can make you better, right? make your experience in your world more bountiful. Rather than looking for opportunities for how somebody is in your way suddenly, and they're just trumping your ability to get like value out of life. No, it's like, look for the opportunities where someone can add to your life and make Mm -hmm. a positive impact, because then you're going to find more and people are going to present themselves in that way.
1: I can't agree more. So I have some really big things coming up I cannot talk about on the podcast right now, but so the pandemic was very hard on me. Uh, I was the most, I've never, I don't have depression, but I was depressed. And I've, I'm like a very, like, I, I'm not, this is not a character I play on TV. That's what people always say when they meet me. They're like, Oh, you're actually like this. I'm like, yeah, I'm annoyingly jovial. So, uh, the pandemic changed that a lot. I wasn't myself at all. Um, but I now I'm working with a person who is, well, like I have a new podcast studio. I didn't pay for that studio. That wasn't me. I didn't do anything. So uh, I have this huge opportunity. My life might change within the next six months because of it. But here's turning the front upside down. I met this person because of a referral from nine years ago. A guy traded me nine years ago. He referred his uncle to me. This is the gentleman. And he traded me through the pandemic. Which was the most time I've ever dedicated to a person, because before I would have to travel every second weekend, right? So, if you care, dad life, how I build my tour schedule is I have my daughter every second weekend. So on the second weekends I book nothing, and then the weekends I don't have, I travel unless I'm doing a tour where I'm gone for. I've done tours from four to eight weeks, right? And that's like I'm in Europe. I'm not going to fly back and forth. Doesn't make sense. So, uh. I wouldn't have built the relationship I had with this person, the trust that we now have, if it wasn't for the pandemic. So knocking on wood, if if everything goes according to the plan that we're working on, which I'm doing all the time right now, which my social media presence is a bit lower than it used to be. Uh, this pandemic might have actually been the best thing that ever happened to me, which if you would ask me that a year ago, I would have screamed, right? So we have to look at like, there there might be some uh, collateral things happening because of an event that might be bad. And because of that collateral, if you keep pushing through and you keep working and, and I definitely wasn't even working at full capacity. I, w- I was working maybe 30%. I was so, I was in such a bad spot. So if you're working even a little bit, you just don't know that consistency is going to do right. It's that plateau you hit where you're like, I haven't lost weight. And then all of a sudden you're five pounds down in two weeks. Like, what happened here? Right? Like it's, there's that consistency. I can't stress enough. So to your listeners, especially if your listeners are in this field where you were clients like i do you took a hit the last two years like a like an unrecoverable one that every single person in your life that a regular job will never understand they will never understand the stress the, the 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 feelings you went through uh this was the first time in my life i ever was like man i wish I had a real job i've never thought that Chris in my entire life have i been like i really wish I was just pushing buttons for eight hours but i'm like all the people like, I wish I got a vacation. Like, I wish I had a paycheck. So maybe the thing you did, the TikTok you learned, the the, the classes you could take, you didn't have to take. If Even if you did it from a bad place, even if you did it from like a weird spot, even the self-reflection, this might have been a very good reset. I really, I hope, generally hope to everybody that you can find something like I did from the negative that came out of this. Because... It was it was horrific. It was very hard, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Like telling an entrepreneur to sit on their couch and do nothing, it might as well be a death sentence, right? Like you can't do anything. So I hope all of you have the same experience of maybe something in this last two years, the thing that you got changed your life. The the fact that, like I downloaded TikTok because of it. And now me and my daughter have a bonding thing over TikTok. That's amazing.
0: There is so much relatable from that that I could just like echo right back. But in the interest of time, we're going to bring it because like we you and I could probably have like a five hour podcast.
1: I bet. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But with that being said, there's one last question that I'll, I'll give to you. And this is a challenge for the audience. This is something that you think might enhance their day or their week just to reframe a situation or get them out of their comfort zone. So essentially, <laughs> all you have to do is say your challenge for the day is and just toss it to them. All right. That's this is
1: cool. Your challenge for the day is to when you are outside of your home, channel a five year old. So what I mean by that is put your phone away and actually experience the world you're in and be excited like a five-year-old. When people teach situational awareness, this is a situational awareness trick because if you have good situational awareness, the odds of you needing self-defense are very low, Um, although it's part of it. If you can look, so when people teach awareness, they tell you to look for the bad stuff. But if all you're looking for is bad things, you're going to burn out. Five-year-olds notice everything at an annoying level right? Where they're pulling on. Did you see that? You're like, yes, I saw the bird, right? But they're they're so engaged. If you are looking for all the good in the world all the time and being excited about it, you will notice the bad. But if you're only looking for the bad, you're going to get into a bad mental state and that is not effective. So when you leave your house, put your phone away, be a five-year-old. You'll find the newest restaurant. You'll find the newest concerts. It'll be way more fun and your life will be enhanced by just becoming curious again.
0: That is awesome. And then I'm going to have all the details for people to find you in the description of the episode. So Sounds I'll great. to direct them to that, but thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm excited. We actually got to talk like not via DMs. This
0: was great. Absolutely.